Well, again, good morning. Uh, we are so glad that you're here today, uh, particularly if this is your first time here. We know that walking in new, into a new place can feel a little bit intimidating, but we are so glad that you decided to take that risk and show up here today. So seriously, thanks for making Grumlaw a part of your week. If you have not been here lately, or maybe you have been here and you just suffer from amnesia, uh, we are in this series right now, as we've already talked about, called Follow. In fact, today we are in part five of eight, so we have officially crossed the halfway point. Uh, the premise for this series is really, really simple. A couple thousand years ago, Jesus is walking around earth and, and he would approach people on a regular basis and just extend this very, very simple invitation. He'd look at him and say, just start following me. Just begin to follow me. And we've learned along the way over the last couple of weeks that one, being a sinner is actually a prerequisite. We figured out that, that having doubts and being an unbeliever is actually a prerequisite. Jesus is like, hey, just start following me. We think that actually that stuff will come a little bit farther down the road. And the crazy thing is, is here we are a couple thousand years later and Jesus is still extending that exact same invitation to every single one of us. Just begin to follow me. It's okay if you don't have all your questions answered. It's okay if you still have doubts. It's okay if you don't even know if you believe in this Jesus guy yet. Just begin to follow me. And so again, uh, today we're excited as we move into, uh, again, part five of this series. So again, thank you so much for showing up today and making this a part of your week. Now last week, uh, we talked about the idea of follow where. We had a guest speaker named Tito, and he talked about, okay, what, what are Jesus followers supposed to wear? And we found out that we're supposed to put on things. If you're a Jesus follower, things like compassion and humility and kindness. And above all else, Jesus followers are supposed to put on love. Now, who at least, you know, a couple times this last week, you put on your follow wear at least a couple times this last week. Great, two of you. I'll be sure to pass that along to Tito. He'll be super encouraged by that. It's incredible. Yeah, I'll call him afterwards. Let him know. Okay, 0.01% of people are applying our messages. Really encouraging for us communicators. Anyway, now today, as we move past the halfway point of this series, uh, as somebody already mentioned, um, we're going to be talking about something called the fine print. We're going to talk about, okay, well, is there a cost actually associated with following Jesus? Because we know that in every single contract, in every single agreement, right, there's like the stuff that they put in nice, bold, 12-point font. It's kind of stuff that gets you excited. But typically near the end of any contract, regardless of what you are signing, there's like the two-point font. It just kind of looks like a bunch of blackness like mashed together. You need like a microscope, you know, to actually see what the heck's going on there. It's the kind of stuff that if they made you aware of it on the front end, you might not be as inclined to sign that contract. And so through the first four weeks of this series, uh, we figured out that there are so many benefits to following Jesus. I think it'll definitely make you a better spouse. It'll make you a better husband, a better wife. It'll make you a better boyfriend. It'll make you a better girlfriend. It'll make you a better parent. It'll make you a better boss. We, we, we think that Jesus followers are more compassionate. They're kinder. They're generous. They're more forgiving. Uh, you're going to be more equipped to face the troubles that life is going to throw at you. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There are so many benefits to following Jesus. Now, some of you might be sitting here, especially if you've been with us for every single week of the series, um, and you might be here going, okay, I mean, I'm new to this whole thing. I'm just kind of exploring who this Jesus guy is. I mean, you're a little weary because you're going, okay, if following Jesus was so great, right? I mean, if it was really so amazing, wouldn't every person logically then be a Jesus follower? And, and that's a good thing to wonder. I, at one point in my life, wondered that as well. And I want to make this really, really clear this morning as we talk about this. Um, following Jesus will eventually cost you something. Following Jesus will absolutely eventually cost you something. And it's when you butt up to these moments, you have like these forks in the road where you can decide to go, okay, I can go my way. The, the way that the world is telling me to go, or I can go this way, the way that I feel like, okay, I, I'm not even ready to give God the credit, but there's like something internally nudging me to go this direction. It's when we come up to those moments, we decide, okay, am I actually a Jesus follower? Or is it possible that I'm just a Jesus consumer? 
Now, Jesus uh, addresses this entire idea just beautifully in Mark chapter 8. Mark's the second book in the New Testament. It's the second half of the Bible there. It's called uh, one of the gospel books because it documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And here in Mark 8, uh, Jesus, again, he, he does such a brilliant job of addressing this idea. Okay, am I actually a Jesus follower, or is it possible that I'm a Jesus consumer? Now, I would love it if this morning, if you would follow along with us. As always, we're going to put the scripture on the screens. In the back, though, we have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we would really, really love for you to take one of those Bibles. You can also download this really great app. It's called Version. It's a totally free Bible app. Uh, if you have a smartphone, which all of you do, and you don't have this on there, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Shoot, you can just Google Mark chapter 8, and it'll like come up on like a ton of different websites. I mean, like that barely counts, but you know, we'll take it. So download the app. Make sure you grab a Bible. I would love it. Maybe your first step. You've never actually read the Bible for yourself. Maybe a good first step for you would just be to reread the scripture that we talk about here on Sunday mornings. It'll take you like five, ten minutes, and that would be a great first step and for you getting into actually reading the scripture. But here, in Mark chapter 8, kind of want to set the stage a little bit, Jesus is hanging out with his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, you probably heard them referred to. There's 12 best friends, the guys that he spent the absolute most amount of time when he was here on earth. But then there's also like this bigger group of people that kind of follow around Jesus everywhere, and they would also call themselves definitely Jesus followers. And here Jesus is looking at this crowd, looking at his disciples, and then looking at the bigger group of followers. And he's trying to figure out, okay, Let's put them to the test. Are they actually followers or are they just consumers? And in this passage of scripture, Jesus reveals the fine print. We start here in verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Now, this is a dangerous question. I would not recommend you walking into work tomorrow and start going up to people saying, hey, what are people saying about me? They're honest. You might not like the answer. Or even worse yet, they might have nothing to say at all. But Jesus knew that there was kind of like this buzz going on about him. He, he knew that people were talking about him. He knew that he was kind of really grabbing people's attention. And so he asked this, this group of people, his disciples, and then the bigger group of people say, hey, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had just recently been beheaded. And some people were saying, hey, we think that you're John the Baptist, like risen back to life. Some say Elijah. Uh, we learned about Elijah uh, in a series that we actually did right before this. He's an Old Testament prophet, a, a guy that had great faith in God. You know, the, the Jewish community in particular really looked up to Elijah. Some people were saying it's Elijah come back to life. And others are saying you're just one of the other prophets. There's all these prophets in the Jewish Bible and the Old Testament. And a lot of people are saying that you're just one of those guys that has risen back to life. And Jesus says, okay, okay. And now he's focusing in on just his 12 best friends, just the 12 disciples. And he's looking at them now and he goes, okay, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So they're sitting there and they're thinking about it. And Peter, I mean, straight away, he puts his hand up. He's like, I know, I know, I know the answer to this one. He's incredible at Bible trivia. He would have killed it in Sunday school, right? Puts his hand up. I know what the answer is to this. He says, okay, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Messiah, now, Messiah is, is a Jewish term. The Greek equivalent to that is Christ. Some of you, you, you thought Christ was just Jesus' last name. Now, I, of course, could understand why you would think that unless somebody like me tells you. Now, Christ, Messiah, they mean the exact same thing. And literally translated, it means the anointed one or the one that God would send. And so Peter, he gets the answers right. And Jesus is like, way to go. He lets him pick out his Laffy Taffy out of the bag. And then he says this. It says, but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him which is kind of strange, right? He's like, okay, Peter, yeah, you got the answer right. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. But shh, don't go telling everybody about that yet. Let's just like keep this among ourselves. So he makes sure all of his followers are on the same page, that they understand who he is, that he is the anointed one. 
And then he kind of starts heading in a different direction. He starts to spell out the cost to following him. It says this, it says, then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Now, I've alluded to this in, in, in previous weeks. Uh, Jesus, every once in a while, it was, it was largely positive at this point in his ministry, but every once in a while, he would allude to the idea that, hey, eventually things aren't gonna be like so great anymore. And this is one of those times, and it would really catch his followers off guard because we have to keep in mind, at this point of his ministry, they are incredibly popular. Everywhere Jesus and his disciples went, these huge crowds would come along. I mean, they had like, again, a 100% approval rating. People wanted to be around Jesus and his disciples. And so when we'd start talking about suffering and being rejected and being killed, they would sit there and go, what are you talking about? Jesus, you're not gonna get killed. I mean, you remember that day that we were out on the boat and, you know, the storm came out of nowhere. We all thought that we were going to drown out there and, and you were sleeping. How the heck were you sleeping, by the way? But yeah, you're sleeping and, and, and we wake you up and you go, shh. But you weren't shushing us. You, you, you shushed the weather. Who shushes the weather? But it listened to you. I mean, the weather listened to you. It was just like, it was calm. So how is the guy that can calm the weather with a shush going to be killed? How is he going to be suffering? How is he going to be rejected? Now, as he talked about this openly with his disciples, it says, you know, they're kind of like annoyed with him. They're like, what are you talking about? And Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Now, just imagine this scene, right? I mean, Peter has just correctly identified Jesus as the Messiah, as, as the chosen one, as the one that God would send. I mean, he, he knew who Jesus was. But Jesus starts talking all doom and gloom, and, and he goes and just, imagine this, grabs Jesus by the arm. He says, come here, come here. All right, he'll, he'll be right back. What are you doing? And he really starts letting Jesus have it. He goes, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Don't be going all negative on us. You're Jesus. I mean, you're like, Jesus. Like, nothing bad's gonna happen. Look at all these incredible miracles that you're doing. Now, Jesus, cut it out. Let's go back over here and talk about prayer and forgiveness and loving kids or something, like positive stuff. And look what happens. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. And now he starts doing to Peter what Peter was just doing to him. He starts reprimanding Peter, and look what Jesus lets come flying out of his mouth. Get away from me, Satan. Whoo! It's been a part of like these awkward moments where somebody lets something come out of their mouth, and you're like, whoo! Peter just got called Satan by Jesus. I mean, that had to sting a little bit, but look at why he was so harsh with Peter. He says, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now this right here, th this is a big deal. He, he's telling Peter, Peter, you don't have God's concerns in mind. You have human concerns in mind. In fact, Peter, you have your concerns in mind. You're one of my disciples, Peter. I mean, you're one of my best friends. We are like bros. We are really, really close. We spend a lot of time with each other. But let's be honest, Peter. Up until this point, you have been a consumer. I mean, you're telling people that you're one of my followers, but let's be honest, you have been a consumer. You have been all about what I, what Jesus can do for you, what you can get out of it, how I, Jesus, can make your life better. But Peter, Peter, I want you to be one of my followers, which means that when the going gets a little bit harder, when things get a little bit tougher, and I promise you those days are a coming, Peter, I wanna know that I can rely on you. 
Peter, I wanna know that I can 100% depend on you. I want you, I wanna know that you are with me. And, and the reason that I'm being so hard on you right now, and again, I know I'm being hard. I mean, I just called you Satan. Sorry, I mean, made things a little uncomfortable. Is because right now, Peter, you have just exposed something. You're not worried about me. I mean, you didn't just pull me to the side and reprimand me because you're so distraught over what might happen to Jesus. No, you're worried about what might happen to you because of what might happen to me. And Jesus takes this moment, which is <laughs> probably really awkward, right? It's like kind of this jovial good time, and then all of a sudden Jesus calls Peter Satan, and everyone's like, whoo. Everyone's kind of quiet, and all the wives are grabbing their husband's arms, like, let's go. And the husband's like, no, no. It's kind of like a car crash. It's like, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to like be entertained by it, but you kind of just want to keep watching. And he takes this moment, this awkward moment, this moment that's probably a little tense, and he uses, to, is, uses it to reveal just what the fine print is for being a Jesus follower. He wants to make sure that all the people that are sitting there have all the details. Jesus is telling them, hey, I am literally, this isn't like this hypothetical thing. I'm not speaking in like parables right now. I am literally, very soon, I am going to be arrested and I'm going to be tried and then I am going to be killed. I am going to be crucified. And I just want to give all of you, all of my followers, a heads up that if you stick too closely, that if other people recognize who you are and that you're one of my followers, that you are associating yourself that closely with me, it is not unthinkable that you will also be arrested. And you'll also be tried. And you'll also be crucified. I just want to make sure that you are aware of that. Now, the good news is for me and for you, for all of us that are sitting here today in Grand Blake, Michigan, there is literally a 0% chance that anything like that is going to ever happen to us. I mean, you might have to make some tough decisions as it relates to following Jesus, but nothing like these original Jesus followers. You aren't going to be crucified for putting your faith in Jesus. So Jesus, you know, kind of paints this grim picture, and then he continues, and he gives us the fine print. It says, then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and there's our word again, and follow me. He says, if you want to be one of my followers and not just a consumer, there are going to be times where you have to give up, as he puts it there, give up your own way. You're going to have to give up your own way. Now, this isn't like some like big theological issue, right, or like this big theological question, and doesn't matter if you're a Jesus follower or not. We do these kind of things all the time. We give up our own way all the time. The waiter comes back to your table and says, hey, would you like another Coke? And you're like, probably shouldn't add the first one, but I already paid $3 for this thing. And yeah, that would mean five Cokes in about a 45-minute period, and they're so good, but no, that's okay. I'll drink this gross water. I will give up my own way. Give up your own way simply means this. It means you say no to you. And again, we do this all the time. Would you like dessert? No, I'm going to give up my own way. Yeah, I want dessert, but I'm going to give it up. Sir, would you like another cocktail? No, I got to drive tonight. We make these decisions. We say, I'm going to hang out with this group of people rather than this group of people. If you're anything like me, you, you make these decisions all the time at about midnight. You're like, I got to be up at 6 a.m., but dang, this Netflix special is like, got me. And I probably should be like semi-productive tomorrow at work, so yeah, I, I want to click next episode, but no, I'm going to give up my own way. You say no to you. And all Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, there are going to be these times, there are going to be like these forks in the road moments. 
You're gonna have these opportunities to go one way or the other. Where, where, where what I want for you, Jesus is saying this, where, where what I want for you and what you want for you are ultimately very, very different. And in those moments, you have to decide, am I a consumer or am I a follower? And if you're a follower, you're going to have to give up your own way. You're gonna have to deny yourself. You are going to have to say no to you. And Jesus is telling us, he's going, hey, hey, I just don't want there to be any like surprise moments. I don't want this to come out of left field. I don't want this to feel like, okay, I was following Jesus, but all of a sudden it's like, gotcha. I don't want you to experience that. If you are going to be one of my followers, you are going to have to take up your cross and truly follow me. Now, we hear that word cross in you know, Western 21st century you know, civilization, and we think up rather positive imagery, right? We think of like you know, pretty necklaces, we think of maybe tattoos, we think of you know, these beautiful crosses on the top of like just these massive church buildings. It's all fairly positive. But to the original audience that would have been listening to this, that Jesus was speaking to, a cross was like, it was scary. It like almost made them shudder. When they heard cross, they thought about a person being nailed to a piece of wood. It was the instrument by which the worst of the worst criminals were murdered for their wrongdoings. They had seen crosses. They'd seen them all the time. In fact, Rome, the government, made a habit of leaving up those crosses for an extended period of time to remind people, oh yeah, if I don't follow the rules, if I, if I don't do what I am supposed to do, what Rome tells me to do, that might just be where I end up. It was the government's way of almost intimidating people. And Jesus is using all of this imagery to kind of stir up and make this point about following him. It will eventually cost you something. You are going to have to deny yourself. Now, as you can probably imagine, this crowd that's you know, hearing all of this and Jesus is saying all these pretty you know, grisly things, I mean, they're freaked out. I mean, they're, they're scared. They're going, what? Where, where did this come from? And a lot of them are going, you know, it was cool like when it was like pretty inspirational and stuff, but now I am out. See you later. It was cool, Jesus, when you were going around and, you know, healing people. You know, you healed my mother-in-law. I was a little conflicted about that, but whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's still a miracle, right? And, and, and you went around, you were walking on water and, and you were turning a little food into a lot of food. I mean, you did all some pretty incredible stuff, but now, Jesus, you're kind of freaking us out. You're all like, ugh, doom and gloom. They're going, I'm not sure that following you is going to be worth it. And we might not even want to admit this, but let's be honest. Don't we all have so much in common with this crowd? This is so many of our stories. Because the truth is, it's not that you don't believe. You believe in Jesus. You believe that he was the son of God. You believe that he came and he died, but he didn't stay dead. And three days later, he was walking around again. I mean, you believe all that part, but let's be honest. Again, you don't have to admit this to anyone else. You're, you don't know if you are ready to start saying no to you. You just don't really want to start giving up your own way. And Jesus knows this. He knows the debate that's going on in that crowd's head. He knows the debate that's maybe going on in some of our heads. He knows that we're wondering, okay, is it worth it? And so the crowd, a lot of them start walking away. They're like, I am out. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Let me tell you one more thing. Before you leave, before you decide that it's just too much to give up, before you decide that it's too difficult to start saying no to yourself, let, let me put this invitation to follow me into a much broader context. And 
This is the kind of stuff, what we're about to read right here, that, that just, it blows my mind. When I, he is the greatest teacher that ever lived. I read stuff like what we're about to read right here in a second, and I just think, I should never speak to more than like one person at a time ever, ever again. I mean, it's just brilliant, the things that he would think of. He's so wise. He is so smart. He was so good at getting everybody on the exact same page. It's the kind of stuff that I read, and I just want to dig more into Scripture. It's the kind of stuff that I read, and I feel like I fall a little bit more in love with Jesus. He says this. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, which we all do, every single one of us, it's why some of you exercise, it's why we all at least make a tiny little bit of an effort to eat healthy. I mean, none of you are eating fast food three times a day. It's why you look before you cross the road. It's why when you come to a red light, you don't just barrel right through it. You try to hang on to your life. And he, again, he was so good at this. He was so good at getting everybody on the same page. And so everybody's sitting there going, you know, they calm down a little bit. They're like, okay, yeah, nodding their heads. Yeah, we, we all try to do that. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Which again, and some of us don't really like to think about this, but this is also true. No matter how well you eat, no matter how many trips to you know, Trader Joe's you're, you're making, no, no, no matter how much you exercise, and some of you guys exercise a lot, you know, you CrossFitters out there, I mean, you're like, you're really getting after it, right? You're, you're like living in the gym. No matter how careful you are, doesn't matter. I mean, you take all the steps that you need to take. Eventually, and hopefully this isn't news to you this morning, you are going to die. Eventually, you are going to lose it. You are going to lose your life. But then Jesus says this. He says, but, but, if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the message that I am bringing, you will save it. And we're all going to give up our lives at some point. Father time is undefeated. We will all eventually die. But Jesus is telling us, he goes, but, 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 if you follow me and you give up your life, which by the way, you are going to have to give up anyway, but if you give it up for me, you'll save it. Now the crowd's processing this and they're thinking through this maybe much like you're processing this this morning. You're going, okay, yeah, the life we're trying to save, we're all trying to save our lives. Okay, I get that part and yeah, we're gonna lose it anyway. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, but Jesus is saying, okay, but if you follow me, and, and you lose your life or, or whatever your life is to you, whether it's material possessions, whether it's kids, whether it's your relationship, however you kind of define lie, your, your life. If you follow me, Jesus saying, if you follow me and you give up any of that, which you are going to have to give up anyway, you can't take any of it with you. If you give it up for Jesus' sake because you decided to be a follower and not just a consumer, you are saving your life. Jesus is going, you are going to lose it anyway. But Jesus is giving us an opportunity to lose it with a purpose. He's giving us the opportunity to lose it with a meaning attached to it. it sounds like a pretty good deal. Now, if you would have stopped there, I mean, oh my gosh, this would have just, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I mean, it would have been such like a brilliant teaching. And so their heads are spinning and he continues. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? 
Jesus is saying, okay, let's play this imaginary game. Let's, let's play this game where you have the entire world in the palm of your hands. I mean, you have everything that you have ever wanted. And that looks different for all of us. For some of you, it's like, you know, some massive house. For some of you, it's like, you just get to stop working. Some of you, it's like, you know, unlimited amounts of money, financial security, lots of friends, lots of kids, right? But you have everything that you have ever wanted and then some, okay? You have the entire world in the palm of your hand. Nothing, nobody was off limits. And just imagine that at the end of your life that you're going to lose anyway, even though you had everything, I mean, you had everything, the world in your hands. Imagine in that moment, you had to give up your soul. Now, chances are, whether you are a Jesus follower or not, uh, this is an incredible statistic. Uh, you probably still think, even if you're wrestling with this whole Jesus thing, you think there is something more after you die. In fact, 97% of Americans believe there is some form of life after death, which is crazy, right? Because our world seems to be becoming increasingly irreligious, but still 97% of people would say, yeah, there's something after this life. It's not just life and then suddenly it's over. And Jesus comes along and he certainly affirms that. I mean, he talks about heaven and eternity all the time. He's like, no, 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 this life is very, very short in the context of eternity. Heaven is absolutely a real place. And Jesus is saying is just imagine, just imagine, that at the end of this seemingly perfect life where you had everything and anyone that the world had to offer, imagine in that moment that it cost you your soul. Imagine it cost you eternity. Now, Jesus doesn't expound here like your own soul. We don't really know what that means. We just know that in the context, it, it doesn't sound good. We, we don't know if that means that life just suddenly ends. We don't know if it means the place that we don't really like to talk about here on Sunday mornings, hell. Uh, we don't know if it means just some sort of like torture or separation from God again. We just know that it doesn't sound particularly good. But if you knew that having the most amazing, everything at your disposal life would cause you to forfeit your soul, how would you respond to that? Then he asks the question, he goes, is anything worth more than your soul? I mean, is anything worth more than your soul? The question that Jesus is posing here is saying, just imagine if at the end of your life, the life that you have everything, all of the greatest worldly possessions, and in that moment, you figure out that acquiring all of that, it cost you your soul. In that moment, what would you give back to get your soul? You, you see that eternity is absolutely real, that your suspicions you know, were right, that you figure out that there is an eternity and you either get to spend it with your creator or separated from him. In that moment, what would you trade to get your soul back? And that is an incredibly easy question and every single one of us would answer the exact same way. We would give it all we get all of it back. There would be no negotiating. We wouldn't go, oh, what about this? No. We would give it all easy decision. Because after all, we are going to lose it anyway. And look what we have just discovered about ourselves. Particularly those of you that are on the fence with this whole Christianity thing. For those of you that are trying to figure out, okay, is it worth it? Do, do I really want to start saying no to me? Am, am I really ready to be a follower or I mean, I don't want to admit this to anyone else. Am I just okay with being a consumer? You just made a remarkable discovery about yourself. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you give up your soul? Nothing. 
And is anything worth more than your soul? No. My soul is greater than my things. Your soul is greater than anything, any relationship, any person. All of us, every single one of us, if faced with the decision at the end of our lives, would give up all of it for our soul. Friends, this is a life changing, life-defining discovery. You have the opportunity to give this stuff up in such a way that it will have an impact on the destination, the future of our souls. It will have an impact on your eternity. And suddenly, when Jesus puts it in these terms, and it's why he's such a brilliant teacher, it doesn't seem to be as great of a sacrifice as he originally made it sound like because you're going to have to give it all up anyway. You value the future of your soul more than anything or anyone in this world. And then Jesus wraps up this entire conversation. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, he's saying, if you're ashamed, if you're embarrassed to be associated with me, when people kind of ask you about me and you just kind of skate the other direction, when people ask you what you were doing right before you ate your meal, right? And we've all done, like, again, us Christians, you've been a Christian for a long time, we've all done things like this, right? It's like you're at a table and you're with a group of friends that don't really know Jesus and, you know, you're supposed to pray before your meal and all of a sudden you act like you, like, drop something. You're like, dear Lord, thank you so much for this food, amen. Right, you come back up. <laughs> Like, when people ask you why you don't talk and cuss and do things a certain way and, and you can't escape by, when people ask why you're carting your family off to church every week, when people ask what's different about you, because if you're living your life in a way uh, according to how Jesus would want you to live your life, it will look different and people will definitely ask you. In those scenarios where, where you have the opportunity to direct people towards Jesus and to the one that has changed your life, but instead you decide to go in a different direction, because you're scared, or you're embarrassed, or you're nervous, you're ashamed. Look at what Jesus says. It says, the son of man, which is a title that he would use for himself. He's talking about himself in the third person. He says, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his father with the holy angels, which, you know, this sounds like so dramatic, the glory of his father with the holy angels. And I'm not gonna pretend like I have any idea what in the heck that actually means but you don't need a, a master's in like biblical theology to get behind and maybe wrap your head around what the son of man will be ashamed of that person means. Because it sure sounds like if I make a habit of denying Jesus, that when the end comes and my soul hangs in the balance, that Jesus just might very well in that moment deny me. He might be ashamed of me. Now, I recognize that that got like really heavy really quick. Keep in mind, Peter, you know, the guy that shot his hand up, the one that's like, yeah, you're the Messiah. You are, you are the anointed one. You're the one that God has chosen. In that moment, right, like, you know, he's Peter. Big deal, Peter. As Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified, throughout that process, he denied Jesus three different times. I mean, like a little middle school girl comes up to him, like, hey, aren't you one of his followers? He's like, what? No. Jesus? Who's Jesus? Never heard of that guy. Now, what does Jesus do on the other side of his resurrection? He goes up to Peter, right? You remember, right? he goes to Peter, he's like, you idiot, you're out, you're going to hell. No. Looks at Peter and he goes, Peter, don't do that again. I forgive you. And then he puts Peter in charge of the entire enterprise and he stops being ashamed 
of Jesus because he saw a risen savior. In that moment, he was willing to die for Jesus because he saw a resurrected savior. So here's the moral of the story this morning. Salvation, it costs you nothing. It is 100% free. And this in and of itself is, is a hard thing for us to kind of wrap our heads around because it's almost impossible to comprehend that the most high God would make the standard so simple that the way that we are called righteous the, the way that we gain a right standing with God where we can enter into a relationship with him is simply based on trust. It's based on faith. It's based on belief. Do you believe that God sent his one and his only son to die for you, but three days later he didn't stay dead and he rose from the grave? Do you believe that? That in and of itself, that is what gets you salvation. Salvation costs you nothing, but following Jesus, it will eventually cost you something. At some point, you are going to have these fork in the road moments where you have to decide, okay, am I a follower or am I just a consumer? You're gonna have to say no to you. You will have to give up your own way. You'll have to say no to him. You'll have to say no to her. You don't go on that trip you turn down that opportunity. You turn down the promotion. You move out. You quit. And the world will look at you and tell you that you are an idiot. That you are an absolute fool. Our sinful and adulterous world will undeniably think less of you. They won't get it. And in those moments, you will surely second guess yourself. But there'll be that small, still voice going, come on, just follow me, trust me, say no to you, you will never regret it. And some of you that are sitting here today, you are scared to death right now. Because this isn't like some hypothetical, this could happen down the road thing. You're at one of these forks right now. In fact, some of you are sitting here today, you already said yes to your own way, you kind of push God to the side and you're a little bit down the path and, and God right now, and it's terrifying you, is telling you, come on, you can still back out. You can still get back to the fork. Let's go my way. Are you gonna be a consumer or a follower? Are you willing to say no to you in order to say yes to him? And friends, I want this for you so badly because these are the moments that truly transform us. You will never be the same. Your relationship with God, that God that you are even wondering, is he actually out there? That relationship will go to places that you did not think were possible. Your life, and I know this just sounds so churchy, but it will be so much better. It will have so much more purpose, so much more satisfaction. I'm gonna brag real quick on uh, Stephanie who was up here leading that game and you get to hear her amazing voice you know, on, on a lot of different Sundays. She had no idea that I was gonna say this and 
That's okay. I like to brag on our staff because they have all made so many sacrifices to be a part of this. Stephanie is, uh, she's our admin director. We call her the detail queen. Uh, if you think like things look decent here on Sunday mornings, she deserves a lot of that credit. She's the one making sure that we don't do anything stupid and you know, all the details are pretty fine-tuned. Um, Stephanie is a really, really bright individual. She actually graduated from U of M uh, with an architecture degree, and so she decided to be an admin director at a church because that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, remember, uh, you know, kind of when I had like the dream team, right? Like I, you know, was dreaming through this whole church thing and, you know, okay, who are the people I'd like to have on staff? Who, will, who would give God, you know, would God give me these people that I want on staff? And, you know, I'm drinking through all that. And one of the people I really wanted, you know, to fill was this admin director role. And I knew it was important because I knew I would get bogged down and it would frankly drive me nuts. And so I started praying through that and thinking through that. And uh, somebody mentioned to me one day, they said, have you thought about Stephanie? Because her and her fiance, uh, they were gonna be a part of Grumla anyway. I mean, they were gonna show up here and serve a ton and just be rock stars, but they're like, hey, but have you thought about her for a staff position? I'm like, but yeah, she has like an architecture degree from U of M and she's got like real debt and like, she wouldn't wanna do this for a church. But I started praying about it and I started thinking through it and so I threw it out to her one day and she said that she would pray about it and I'll never forget this, it wasn't an overnight process, but a couple of weeks later, I remember exactly where I was at, she came out to me and she's like, let's do it, I'm in. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you just said yes to this. Are you sure? This doesn't seem like a good idea. And I know there were people speaking into her life saying, that's not smart. But she made a conscientious decision to give up her own way. And guess what? There's no like crazy ending to this story where I get to tell you, but God gave her a briefcase of $100,000. Nothing like that's happened. <laughs> but I guarantee you that if you went up to Stephanie after the service, and I invite you to do this, say, has it been worth it? She will look at you, probably with tears in her eyes, and say, undeniably so. She will tell you of the stories of life change that have already happened at this church, how her life has been changed because of what God is doing through this church. We all acknowledge that we value our soul more than anything else in this world. And don't think that it's a coincidence that we happen to be talking about this today in light of the decision that you soon have to make. It's a hard decision, but come on. It's not that hard of a decision. Jesus is telling you, come on, just follow me. Follow me. If you give up your life for Jesus' sake, you will save it. One last thing. That day when Jesus is talking to this crowd of people and, you know, not all of them listened, right? Some of them, even despite, you know, again, the captivating words of Jesus, some of them definitely still walked away, much like some of you will today. You've heard everything, you've heard, you know, God might even be nudging you, but you're gonna walk away and nothing's gonna change in your life. It's the case in every single one of these scenarios. Some of those people, definitely that day, they walked away and they said, no way, this is not worth it, I am out. You know what happened to those people? I have no idea. But I guarantee you, that after Jesus rose from the dead, on the other side of a resurrected savior, they would have given up anything and everything to go back to that moment and follow him. Following Jesus will absolutely cost you something. 
but refusing to follow Jesus, I think it'll cost you a whole lot more.